When we turned five, Mother gave each of us a copy of her favorite story. She had one made for each daughter. The Dancing Princess. Welcome to the Graveyard Slot, where we talk about movies past their prime time. Here, we revisit old favorites with a fresh perspective to see if they deserve more credit or if they should stay buried. I'm Sohini. And I'm Sarah, and today we're talking about Barbie in the 12 Dancing Princesses. So in the lead up to Barbie 2023, we are doing a couple special episodes this month where we discuss Barbie movies. Yeah! Based on the German fairy tale The Twelve Dancing Princesses, this movie follows Genevieve and her sisters when their father the king assigns Duchess Rowena to their upbringing, unknowing of her own self-serving motives. This was released in 2006 and directed by Greg Richardson, who also did other Barbie movies such as Barbie as the Island Princess and Barbie and the Magic of Pegasus, as well as other children's media. We're well aware that the Barbie movies aren't exactly considered... High cinema. <laughs> yeah. So because we have previously been very surprised by some of these movies, this felt like the next obvious choice because among viewers at least, this movie seems to have quite a good reputation as like a solid children's movie. Yeah, and a review I found was from The Video Librarian. That reads, Barbie and the Twelve Dancing Princesses serves up plenty of magic to enchant young, starry-eyed Barbie fans and aspiring dancers. And I think this is one of the clear positives of the movie, since in the past they've always put a lot of effort into choreographing and computer animating the dancing. I think it's safe to assume that the same amount of effort was put into this. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. The dancing sequences as little purposes they served in the story. They were still enjoyable. And as usual, I'm surprised by the amount of classical music for a kid's movie. I think it's great that they include that and they don't patronize kids and assume that kids wouldn't be as engaged or as enchanted by classical music. So that's also an aspect I quite liked. The only other review I could find is from the Sunday Age, and it calls the movie, quote, good wholesome stuff, though the story sometimes plots. Sums it up. It does, and I think it's quite a nice way of putting it. Yeah. I think there's nothing controversial about these reviews, just as there's nothing really controversial about the movie. It's just there. Yeah. I remember watching this as a kid, but I didn't remember the movie at all. I remember liking it fine. Actually, one thing that I remember viscerally is liking the look of the shoes. I think just because the movie did have somewhat of a focus on the dancing shoes and just like the novelty, I think, of dancing shoes was really novel. <laughs> <laughs> so as usual, we will be discussing this movie chronologically and we start with a dance sequence. Very fitting. I did like it and I liked how we immediately get a sense of what the movie will sound like musically. The theme is so strong that even I remember having heard it even though I had never watched the movie. <laughs> when I first heard the tune, it was like a deep memory awakening. <laughs> a memory I didn't know I had. But yeah, I also like that we start off with the dancing, considering how significant a role it plays in the movie. Though I can't help 
but be reminded of the use of dance in the Nutcracker because obviously ballet was very important in that movie as well but I do feel like it was used to a much better effect in that movie because you could clearly trace Clara's character growth in her growing confidence and her dancing skills so dancing just felt like it had a much bigger role in that movie and a much more crucial role whereas here it kind of just feels like it's there as one of the many traits of the characters like it's it's there but you could take it out and it wouldn't really change too much i agree i don't feel like it's really embedded in the narrative aside from just the fact that they like dancing and we don't even really know why like we know it's because of their mother but like aside from that what is the significance like you i feel like it's a pretty weak use of dancing especially compared to something like the nutcracker if they're going to place so much emphasis on it so much so that it's part of the opening credits it's one of the first things we see it should be more important to the story <laughs> but actually the first thing we see after this is a character whose design is based on preminger it's literally just preminger <laughs> he's in disguise guys <laughs> he's on the run yeah after the embarrassment that he suffered at the end of princess and the pauper yeah maybe it was an easter egg you know for fans of princess and the pauper it's like guest starring preminger <laughs> he is inviting the king and the princesses to this important gala but before he can respond the princesses all burst in and upon seeing how chaotic they are the guy uninvites them <laughs> Very Preminger-like, I will say. That just solidifies our theory. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so the kids are chaotic, as you say. <laughs> <laughs> One of the little kids likes bugs. There are some kids playing croquet inside the palace and in the throne room, no less. And the final nail in the coffin, a couple of kids on stilts. <laughs> I actually love this escalation. The stilts sound like a punchline. It's literally the most ridiculous thing you can say. Like, you want to say something, it's really ridiculous. You say someone's in, insert ridiculous garb, insert ridiculous face makeup on stilts. <laughs> and the way that that is employed here is... It's just so funny. You're right. It does make it more funny that it slowly gets worse and worse. What I really liked is the contrast between the way this initial guy is dressing the king really formally and then the kids burst in and call him Papa and because of them, his crown keeps getting knocked off his head. So it's like his identity as the king versus his role as father are kind of at odds and his role as father does seem to be more important to him in this moment because he's not angry about them being improper he's more endeared and you can tell very clearly that they have a good relationship the father and the daughters the whole crown thing now that you mention it it's like a depiction of how his kids and perhaps their behavior is putting the kingdom at risk because as we see in this exact scene it severs a relationship that they have with another kingdom that preminger is representing yeah you're right but actually another thing that i really love in the scene is the fact that they use the word rambunctious to describe the girls and i like that 
the traits that they are assigned are quote-unquote unladylike and that is a present trait throughout the movie i feel like this is a great introduction to one of the themes i feel like on the surface it's just like because they're not proper like princesses but i think the choice of traits specifically stuff you would expect of you know young boys yeah that's a great observation and now that you mention it it is nice that the characters are quite distinct from each other because considering the sheer number of characters I think it would be very easy for them to become one homogenous group but yeah when the king tries to talk to his daughters about them being more proper and it seems like this is prompted by the guy at the beginning but I do wish that this connection had been more obvious like maybe the guy makes a comment and after that you can see the king's endearment slowly change to worry about his daughter's futures. I agree. I can't fucking tell what gave him this idea <laughs> until you pointed out <laughs> that it might have been Preminger or fake Preminger. I think an easy way they could have done this is establish that Preminger is there to offer them resources that they need instead of like a vague ball or whatever. Yeah, the stakes aren't high. Give us stakes or give the king a clear motivation grounded in something tangible. But as is, honestly... I can't tell where this idea came from that they should be more like princesses or whatever. I think that's actually a really weak part of the movie. I have a really hard time with the role of the dad and his motivations. Later on... I get inklings of what it could be, but like it's also really muddled by whether or not he was influenced by Rowena because it seems like a lot of his focus is the way people see them and talk about them, which does not endear him to me. <laughs> but an easy way of making that have any real merit is connecting the state of their kingdom, of their country, and their people to this reputation of the princesses which would be a really great nuanced take because like yes the basic thing you have to tell kids is like don't care about reputation or whatever but another layer to that would be like the fact that the world doesn't work like that yes i agree it seems like somehow the king is the only character in this movie who has any kind of discernible motivation and room for character growth yet he's also somehow the weakest character in that aspect because yeah i also am not sure what exactly is driving him and in my mind there was a very clear opportunity to just have him be conflicted between the love he has for his daughters and his role as king and the duty he has to prepare these girls for their royal duties but yeah they don't really depict any kind of internal conflict for the king or any kind of anything. <laughs> yeah. My thing isn't even just like the fact that there isn't internal conflict. It's just there's no stance. I don't even know where he stands. Like, I don't know what his opinion is. He's so wishy-washy because he's like constantly affected by what Rowena says and then he's a little bit swayed by what his daughters say and then he's persuaded by Rowena again. It's like he doesn't have an opinion of his own. He's kind of just there. The wishy-washy of his character isn't even on purpose i can't even say that he's had like character growth at the end because i can't tell what his character is now yeah. like you know <laughs> anyway we meet the royal cobbler his name is derek and he makes dancing shoes for 
The princesses. Yeah. They look so pretty. And then Genevieve gets a pair that he had apparently been working for all night because he has a crush on her. (laughs) One thing I will say is that when the girls rush off because shoes are here, I love the play on this stereotype of like girls love shoes because when the dad says come on girls they're just shoes and they act all gassed because they're like just shoes and they're horrified that's like a play on the depiction of girls being vain but in reality in the context of this movie that's literally not it they're literally not just shoes they're dancing shoes and they are the very thing that the girls are so passionate about That's a great point. Another thing it reminds me of is when the king is expressing concern about his daughters and Rowena's response is that, oh, girls are emotional. (laughs) That also feels like somewhat of a subversion because it's coming out of this incredibly manipulative character's mouth. And we know that that's not what it's about and that the emotions the girls are expressing are perfectly reasonable ones. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, this is where we can see that not only does Derek have a crush on Genevieve, but it seems to be reciprocated. They have a kind of awkward exchange and I really like how most of their exchanges are awkward. Yeah. I feel like that's just more realistic instead of the suave interactions we get sometimes in other young adult media. To be fair, when has a male of interest in a Barbie movie ever been swapped. <laughs> I think that's a nice consistent trait to see. Yeah. <laughs> Although I will say Derek does have at least a little bit of a personality even if that entire personality is shoes. <laughs> <laughs> the trap they could have easily fallen into is kind of that of the early Disney movies where the princess are just kind of there and don't really have any discernible personality and they're just there to save the princess at the end. But here, Derek plays an active role in the story. You can see that he has a partnership with Genevieve and they work well together. And the way his pet parrot, Felix, keeps intervening and he keeps telling Felix off, like, can you shut up? (laughs) (laughs) I do like their back and forth. Him constantly being mortified by Felix is just so funny. Yeah. The depiction of men in Barbie movies is actually really interesting because I wonder if like why so many of these male characters are you know just kind of doofuses and like lovable and whatever is because for girls the most desired trait for a man is to be non-threatening and that's like the common denominator for all of these characters. I can definitely see that. As well as the gentleness of these characters, I also really like how in this movie they complement each other really well. It kind of reminded me of Julian in The Princess and the Pauper, how he shares scientific knowledge with Annalise. And here, I really like the dynamic between Derek and Genevieve because he makes shoes and then she wears the shoes to dance. (laughs) But I just really like how they seem to be different sides of the same coin. In this scene, actually, Felix encourages him to play a tune and the girl stands. Yeah. But the next character that we encounter is Duchess Rowena. And from her very first entrance, we see that her carriage is run down. And when she arrives, she's very attentively evaluating the palace and its things. But there's this line where she talks about how monkeys are very popular this year, which I think is supposed to speak of her character and how the only way I can put it is like she's a trend chaser, but she places a lot of value on, I guess, reputation. I definitely agree with the second 
part that she's very conscious of her image because considering how run down her carriage is and we also have another character mention later on that she never pays her bills so she's obviously struggling so to me it seemed like maybe having monkeys isn't the trend she makes it out to be but more of an excuse as to why she's got him mm. just to cover for any questions <laughs> that might come up i saw her more of as like someone who came from a high social standing but has since fallen out of favor and fallen out of fortune and is trying to put up this image you know in the modern age it would be like a socialite who's a million dollars in debt but they're still trying to wear designer clothes or whatever i agree that makes a lot of sense i really like her entrance because from the previous scene they fade from this box with a spider in it that belongs to one of the princesses they fade from that box to the top of her carriage which i really like i thought it was a simple yet effective way to foreshadow this character's motivations and her color palette is also great, I think, because it's kind of like a mix of this gray with a slight purple in it. And it's like she's there to leach all of the color and the happiness out of her surroundings. But the hints of purple are hinting at her aspirations because, of course, she wants to take over the throne. Building off of what you said about the spider in a box and then how that transitions into Rowena's carriage, that also speaks to the fact that she is someone who is trapped in her circumstances and desperate to get out. Interesting. And, you know, the spider belonging to one of the princesses is also interesting because it could be that if we're drawing that parallel, that Rowena is also trapped in her own way, trapped by the system, maybe trapped by the institution of the monarchy. They could have said something <laughs> about that. Like one thing that comes to mind is we see a lot of opulence in this movie, a lot of chasing after possessions, at least on Rowena's part. And also with the princesses, when they visit that magical land, there's a lot of gold and diamonds and it's just a lot of wealth and they never really say anything about that but it would be interesting if we see Rowena become increasingly obsessed with material possessions and wealth and that's causing her to become more and more trapped because I guess she's losing more money than she can afford and that's what's led to her being in this situation where like that spider she's trapped because she is a duchess and I assume in her position there's a certain image you have to keep up when you're in that kind of position and it feels like reputation as a whole tries to be an important theme not that they say much about it but that could have been a potential character trait of Rowena's that the reason she is trapped in her circumstances is because she's so obsessed with maintaining that image of wealthy duchess and that's what's driving the greed and driving her to do what she's doing so that seemed like a potential option yeah this would also make more sense in the context of her whispering in the king's ear about the girls needing to be more proper because this is what she truly believes this is like her motivations kind of swaying the king into buying into a certain belief about the importance of reputation the importance of image it could be that maybe the opinion about the royal family is actually really good but because the royal family seems so removed from the general population the king just only has Rowena to rely on to understand what's going on outside and so he just has the wrong idea that would have been really great actually what you said made me think about how they could have said something where 
Rowena's circumstances is a consequence of the royals. You know, like you said, we see a lot of opulence in the palace and in the royals' lives. And basically, Rowena is one of the only people we see and she's not doing well. And we don't see how the kingdom is doing. We don't see how the commoners are doing. So it would have been interesting, similar to the villain in Island Princess and Preminger, if she's driven by the fact that her own circumstances, you know, like the fact that she can't afford the means to live is a direct result of the royals and their recklessness and maybe even a result of the fact that the royal family aren't able to make these connections with other kingdoms and trade and everything because the girls aren't being properly taught how to be rulers of a kingdom that would have been great commentary and even like that's a direct parallel to like how reckless a lot of people in power are and how they aren't qualified often and they are only in that seat of power because of certain privileges like being blood related like the fact that these girls are only princesses because they are the king's daughters because clearly they aren't qualified for ruling a kingdom or running one yeah that's a great idea in that case her treatment of them would have been more malicious in a more personal way because it's almost like she's punishing them for not acting the way proper royals should and she believes that's what has led to her circumstances she's kind of placing that blame on the girls i think we fixed this movie <laughs> <laughs> well in the actual scene she meets all of the girls Druina sees that some of the kids have mud on them or paint on them and genevieve is late and they just aren't up to muster according to Rowena. the part that really bugged me actually is the fact that the king tells the kids that Rowena will now take care of their upbringing to prepare them for running a country, but like, why can't he do it? <laughs> Good point. He's just passing on the responsibility. The scene really maybe rubbed me the wrong way or something, because like, they don't make a point of depicting the fact that the king is doing something, that he's like busy or anything. He's just like, I don't want to raise my own kids. He literally says that Rowena is here to take over their upbringing. Yeah. That's so harsh. I mean, like, even just that. So, like, Rowena could be a fucking saint. And I would be like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Because he's not, like, specifically saying, like, Rowena is here as an etiquette tutor. He's just like, I don't want a parent anymore. <laughs> the only thing I can think of is that he's under the impression that the girls won't listen to him. I guess we're sort of supposed to infer that from the one conversation he tries to have with them and it ends really abruptly. So that's the only explanation I can think of. But yeah, I don't think the framing is done very well because it really does seem like he's handing off all responsibility to Rowena and a part of me feels like it's stemming from that idea that a girl needs some kind of maternal influence and that the dad can't fulfill the role in the same way. I feel like potentially it stems from that kind of sentiment, but if it does, they don't say it and it doesn't need to be that way. <laughs> yeah, obviously that would be very misguided and wrong. Yeah. It's so weird also because it kind of does seem to go against everything that's been established so far, which is that he seems to really care about his kids. So for him to do this is very strange. I think that makes me even more upset because I'm like, you're going out of your way to portray him as this really loving father and the girls fucking adore him and he's kind of put on this 
pedestal throughout the movie that he didn't do anything wrong. He's just like a lovable old man. It's kind of like a similar thing that Hammond from Jurassic Park benefits from and actively takes advantage of. So the fact that we are to believe that he's this lovable, nice dude, but then he does this, I'm like, fuck that guy. (laughs) And like the whole movie kind of hinges on us caring for the king, for the dad, and for the relationship with their dad. But he's so soured to me from this moment on that I don't have that emotional connection with him because I hate him. (laughs) That is an emotion, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) I think especially what bothers me is that there's not enough reason for the king to change his stance so quickly because like you said, I think we're supposed to believe that there's outside pressure or that there's talk of the princesses not being proper enough and I guess that was supposed to be embodied by Preminger in the beginning but the fact that we never really see any more outside pressure from anyone, the fact that it really seems like the only people to exist in this universe are the people in the castle really lowers the stakes even more and it makes me think of the princess and the pauper again because similar to this movie a lot of the time we saw the queen being very isolated in the castle but that had a completely different effect because we had seen her out and about so aware of the state of her kingdom we could feel her loneliness and her desperation to do something to help the people of her kingdom but here the king feels so isolated and not in a good way it doesn't feel like there's anybody that he's in charge of who is you know losing faith in the royal family who is gossiping about the princesses it really feels like they exist in a universe by themselves yeah i think it's a consequence of really poor world building because the way you put it was really perfect the people losing faith in their leaders and the royal family if they just pair the king caring about their quote-unquote reputation with that, then that's tangible stakes. So I think they did a poor job of establishing the world and the kingdom. It doesn't feel like anyone is relying on these girls being good rulers. That's tied to what we were talking about before with Rowena considering herself to be a direct victim of the reckless behavior of the royal family. If there had been more people like that who are growing increasingly resentful, then we have more of an understanding of why it's so urgent for the princesses to immediately try to change their behavior and why the king goes to such drastic measures. I think what makes this such poor storytelling is the fact that it's lacking an inciting incident. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But one of the very first thing that Rowena does is she gives them this uniform. (laughs) It's a dress of all the same color and the same style and she's literally stripping them of their personality. But I do like this as a depiction of conformity and that is what our protagonists and, you know, the narrative is fighting against the whole movie and another layer on top of that is like I said the whole like ladylike etiquette thing which in this scene is portrayed through the quote-unquote proper use of a fan in the scene she's trying to teach them how to use handheld fans and that's a pretty big symbol of femininity and the fact that the fan is not even used functionally in line with the conformity it's supposed to stifle these very lively women into these kind of ladies who are only supposed to be pretty to look at yeah just like we've talked about so far it's all about the appearance 
instead of, you know, the actual substance. And if we're supposed to believe that Rowena is something of a mouthpiece for general opinion, I guess this whole string of measures she implements against the princess's individuality is supposed to represent the constraints of their duty versus their individuality versus their own power over their personal lives and again like with the king i think this could be an interesting conflict where the princesses at least the older ones have to learn to grapple with what they want to do versus what they have to do or should do and again i <laughs> keep talking about the princess and the pauper but there's a similar theme there about duty and freedom but it feels like here the princesses don't ever really have that problem <laughs> like yes they're fighting against this oppressive force but it's never really even a consideration that maybe this is a sacrifice they have to make and so i think the result is that it becomes a less nuanced narrative it's more like you know good guy versus bad guy whereas in reality in a situation like this it is true that people in positions of power do have to face similar issues and so it would have been nice to see that translated, I guess, into the narrative. And I think this stems, again, from the lack of stakes. They don't tell us what they have to sacrifice it for. <laughs> yeah. I completely agree with you. I was literally going to say the same thing. It makes for a very shallow take. And like in this world, I guess that must be true because so far, sacrifice and molding yourself into a certain kind of princess or ruler or whatever has never been asked of them. Yeah. And I think the arrival of Rowena could have been and maybe is a great portrayal of the arrival of you know that moment in a girl's life where you have to kind of give up that youth and that childishness and when people are starting to treat you differently than the other kids who are boys suddenly it's not cute that you're playing with bugs the other boys can play with bugs but you're a lady you shouldn't touch them you know shit like that i think that would have been a really interesting take on it and granted rowena's sudden arrival to give it a little credit could easily stand for that as is although i don't know that they say anything about it moving forward yeah, that's a great point. But yeah, I, I don't think the movie says anything because the girls don't change at all. And I'm not saying, you know, change as in give up all their personality, but like their characters don't develop throughout the story. They're in the same place at the ending as they were in the beginning. And so it makes for a very flat narrative. And this discussion made me think even of the prince in barbie as the island princess because he was in a similar position where he had had freedom in his youth to explore and to do whatever he wanted but when the movie starts that's when his parents are getting serious and they're like okay now is the time to settle down we've let you do whatever you wanted to do but now you have to think about your duty to the kingdom and throughout the story he grapples with what he wants to do versus what he should do as the future king and the story says something about this issue through this character because ultimately he decides to prioritize love over his duties and it's taking a stance at least i'm not saying the movie's perfect but at least it's saying something but here it's almost like it doesn't matter that the girl or royals they could just be any girls and this story could still take place because 
them being in a position of power, them being royals, is not playing any part in the story. It's not fueling any kind of conflict, internal or external. And it's not creating any stakes. Agreed. We do see them all in a bedroom and they all live in one bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's necessary for the whole they enter the magical world together kind of thing, but just the concept separate from that is so funny that they're (laughs) royals and they all share one room, all 12 of them. Truly, an easy fix would have been just have them be in one suite. So there's like the big door Ah. that Rowena has to lock and there's like a living area in the middle and they all have their like own bedrooms off of that. Oh, that would have been so much better. That would have made so much more sense. Yeah. (laughs) As it is, it's like they live in a boarding school dorm. But yeah, absurdity of that aside, I do like... Like how everything that we've seen in the castle so far has been quite rounded. Like we see them sit at an oval dining table when they're all eating together. And then this room is a sphere and the beds are kind of rounded so that they fit the curved walls. But when Rowena arrives as a part of stripping them all of their personalities, she takes away all their things and replaces their colorful bedspreads with this gray bedding and the beds are all put in a straight line and it's much harsher against the curves. And I guess you could see this as a reflection of the more strict approach that she's taking versus the king's more carefree ways, I suppose. Yeah, and... I think that rigidity is also present in the fact that she replaces their vase of flowers with a clock. But I really actually like the presence of the clock because we come back to it over and over and over again. And it's like, that's what's ruling these girls' lives now. Yeah, and... Again, this change in the way that they're suddenly being treated, this could very well be related to this time thing because it's the unending march of time. You grow older whether you like it or not and you have to be mature at a certain point and let go of your quote childish tendencies and the fact that Rowena is so focused on the importance of time it could tie really well you know into being pushed into adulthood whether you like it or not yeah to its credit it is like a pretty prominent motif in the movie so that much I'll give them (laughs) but an even better take would have been tying that into this ending of the girl's adolescence. We also see that Rowena steals something from the castle to pay the apothecary and I kind of would have liked if the vase that she replaces with the clock is the thing that she had sold because then it's like her ulterior motives become more and more clear and we see that what she's doing is not just in the interest of the girls but uh she's benefiting from it in her own way yeah one last thing i have to say about this scene is that they say to genevieve to talk to the king to their dad because he'll listen to her and i wish they had shown this favoritism earlier because they haven't so like we're just supposed to assume that this is true because she's played by barbie (laughs) (laughs) i think i was just so incensed by how lazy this writing is with good reason that is actually a really great point because it's like we're supposed to believe it by default just because she's the main character yeah 
I will say though, I do like that their conversation takes place over a game of chess because you can see Genevieve trying to be strategic about it and maneuvering the situation the way she is the game, but they don't do it for long enough for it to be an effective tool because we've talked about this before with movies like The Princess Diaries and they could have easily reflected this push and pull in the conversation in the game of chess, but they don't really do that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't introduce chess into a scene and then not use it that's like such a standard yeah symbol <laughs> but here is the part where things get worse rowena shows up and overhears and she like interrupts feigning this emotional reaction and saying that she should just hire a team of people and the king says they shouldn't do that because he doesn't want to invite more people into the palace because that would embarrass them that they would need so many tutors for the girls and everything first of all you've never had tutors for the girls are these girls like <laughs> not educated i'm so confused what have they been doing i understand the source of confusion i think what they may have meant <laughs> is not that they never had any tutors. <laughs> the way I understood it is it's less to do with basic education and more to discipline the girls. And still, that doesn't make sense because I'm sure if this were more realistic, they would have had someone who is teaching them the rules of etiquette. But I guess the difference is that Rowena is not only here to teach them that necessarily, maybe she's more here to enforce these strict rules and to make sure that the girls not only know them but are adhering to them so when she's like you should hire more people to do this job i guess she's implying let more people into the palace and let them see what a bad state the girls are in and you know re ruin your reputation further but this is predicated on the assumption that people are already gossiping but we have no indication of this as we've already talked about when the king says there's enough talk it's like where where's the talk who's talking so this is supposed to be like an embarrassing secret i guess and that's why the king is so desperate to keep rowena but it doesn't come off that way because we're in a void in the story <laughs> this kingdom exists in a vacuum yeah <laughs> i think my confusion stems from their poor world building because it doesn't seem like there are other people in the palace and i did understand that the king sees it as a point of embarrassment and before this i was still like confused because he seems to like them he likes that they're weird and kooky and then in this scene he is clearly embarrassed by his children because it also comes in an outburst. It feels like he slips. Yeah. It's really funny that later on there's this whole like convoluted Genevieve mistakenly overhears the king talking shit about them. But like in this scene, he's doing it in front of you, Genevieve. <laughs> How are you not mad at him now? Yeah, it's like you said, the story never really makes the king confront any of his behavior. There's no depth. Yeah, so we come to the triplet's birthday. It's the youngest kids. They're turning five and they do this song and dance. That's a tradition. And Rowena finds them and reprimands them because it causes them to be late. And then she forbids dancing and singing, even though they tell her that it's a tradition that started with their mother. And also the king doesn't show up for the triplet's birthday. It's so weird that they seem to be so close, but the girls don't see him the whole day. He doesn't wish the triplets a happy birthday and they just accept it. It's so weird to me. <laughs> yeah. When 
the sisters are doing their little song and dance for the triplets, you can see that under their same colored night dresses, they're still wearing their colorful shoes, their dancing shoes. Oh. And I really do like that the last remnants of their personalities that they managed to retain is their dancing shoes, which again emphasizes the importance of dance in their lives. Yeah. So the girls do have some presents for the triplets and each of them receive a copy of their mother's favorite book, The Dancing Princess. And Genevieve realizes that each book matches one of these decorative tiles on their floor and she dances across them in a pattern and the towels start glowing and this magic portal opens up first of all the pattern is just a circle and the way they figure <laughs> this out is oh my god it must be in descending order of their age but like if the pattern is just a circle, then it doesn't matter that it's in descending order of their age. It would only matter if the pattern isn't a circle and they have to figure out the the pattern. Yeah. <laughs> the only key it unlocks is which tile to start from because of who is oldest. But even then, you pointed out that even the first time you step on it, it already lights up. So like you could just yeah. accidentally step <laughs> on it and figure out that that's the start. <laughs> so upset because I love puzzles. <laughs> They're ruining puzzles for me. <laughs> Maybe I'm not as indignant as you on that, but I do share some of your indignation, especially with the point about just stepping on the tile because there's no indication that oh maybe the kids have to reach a certain age and on their birthday this thing is unlocked or anything like that they make it seem like it just happened because they have now figured it out but the result is that it seems like anytime you stepped on that tile it could have happened and so the further result is that they make it seem like the girls must have never stepped on that tile before <laughs> somehow yeah they also make it seem like this place long predates any of the girls being born. And in the story, it's just one princess who dances across the tiles and goes to the magical land. But then it doesn't matter really that there's 12 of them and there's 12 tiles. Like it could be any number of kids and any number of tiles because it just takes one of them to step on the right tile and then go in a circle and visit the land. So everything feels kind of inconsequential. Like there could be 27 tiles and three sisters and a still the same yeah they tried to say that there's something about the power of 12 but we never know what that means exactly and it's not like you need all 12 of them to open the portal it's not like you need all 12 of them when they're trying to escape it's her and Derek which is very random like why is he suddenly needed when the Tyler thing happened I thought they all had to do it at the same time because it's a key so they all have to synchronize right they have to know the steps and go at the same time and it's a dance because it's dancing yeah but no <laughs> <laughs> there was such an easy fix to that whole thing because you could argue that Rowena needs to access the land to get the magic flower but you could have so easily done it like she's trying to get in but she can't because there's 12 of them and there's only her and her monkey and her minion and that's not good enough to access but then maybe one of the kids has brought back a flower because oh it's so pretty and she takes it and she realizes its powers it could have been as easy as that that would have been great because her being in the magical land actually didn't change that much because she's there and then she's out she like grabs the flower and she's out of there i was really surprised that she even was there yeah the fact that she was there the fact that she can use the magic and it helps her to figure out what the girls have been up to because the place 
it was so tied to their mom and to their mom's love of dancing. It felt like it was something very special to them and protective of them. So it didn't feel right that the magic was helping Rowena. It feels like they didn't establish any kind of limitations or rules to this magic world. It's just open for anyone's use. It's like that magic wand in Disenchanted. Unlimited magic. <laughs> yeah, it's poorly written magic. And I kept waiting for the magical land to turn on them. I liked the idea of Rowena being there and tainting it and using the powers to her own advantage. And the idea that this magic and this power isn't inherently good, isn't protective of them the way they thought it was, the way they had assumed. It's the way that it is wielded. It can so easily be corrupted and and used in a really malicious way. And that would be great commentary on how you use your power and your authority. That's so great. But anyway, the point is, it still felt strange that Rowena could just use the magical flower and the fact that Rowena is there because they didn't really use it to say anything. I really like your idea because then it's like this magical place is an extension or an embodiment of the authority and the power that the girls have as royals and something that Rowena is trying to seize from them and use in a malicious way and that's a perfect way to symbolize that and they didn't use it yeah but let's actually talk about the magical land there's a staircase down from their bedroom to go to this magical land and then a magical boat that takes them to the magical pavilion <laughs> and the entire time i was like you guys it's a trap because of <laughs> cinematic history i'm like you're not supposed to go down there it's dangerous <laughs> it's just like oh my god they're gonna die <laughs> they're gonna have to sew buns into their eyes I, I was freaking out this is like you thinking will is ursula all over again <laughs> But I do like the idea that, okay, I will say this kind of comes right back around to the idea of it being a trap. But that aside, I do like the idea of this place being a desired alternative because their lives have now turned miserable so it is an escape and i mean that is the case for the movie and i think it's also a great stand-in for the escape that is a young girl's fantasy especially because of how magical the land is and the fact that in the movie this is a patterned dance in their bedroom i think it's really nice it's like the magical place that girls escape to is dancing around in her bedroom oh that's such a great read couple things the first thing you said about this being like a fantasy escape land i can completely see that and what really makes it seem that way is that it seems so far removed from anyone and anything like it's completely a fantastical place and i wish the kingdom had been more of a realistic setting with people bustling about and people who want things from you all the time and there's no silence and there's no place to just be yourself and if it had been that kind of place then this magical setting would have been all the more comforting and all the more a haven for the girls to do the one thing that they don't have the time or the space to do in the palace, which is dance. That contrast would have made this magical setting even more of an effective tool. The second thing that you said about the portal being in the bedroom, I really like that. It's kind of reminiscent of Annalise dancing around in her bedroom when she's singing her I Want song. Oh, you're right! It's like that one place where you can drop all pretenses and you can be fully and freely yourself. It's easy to translate to any 
viewer because it's such a universal thing <laughs> dancing around in your bedroom and- yeah don't you feel like this should turn into a trap though like i don't really know what it does further than without it being into a trap because it's like it should be like too much of anything is bad right exactly whether you're looking at it from a perspective of this space represents the authority that they'll eventually have like we were talking about or whether you're looking at it from the perspective of it's a safe haven to finally do what you want to do from either perspective it can turn very dangerous very fast when they're dancing it almost seems like they're in a trance and they can't stop until their shoes are worn out and so it almost seems like this is a place where time stops and they lose track of everything and they're just dancing and dancing and you would think that that would be to their detriment to some degree like they come to realize you can't just spend forever focusing on dancing in this case you have to live life you have to sometimes do things you don't want to do so you would think that the place would serve as that kind of reminder but it doesn't really yeah there's even this scene where they wish for dancing partners and they all start dancing with these gold statues of princess and I really liked the imagery of it but again it didn't really say anything because I was expecting there to be some kind of realization about I don't know about the hollowness of it all the fact that they are dancing with these figures who are not human and some kind of realization about how they're surrounded by these riches but how it's all kind of hollow at the end because this is not real life <laughs> but i don't know they didn't say anything it's all just very surface level later on during their last visit there is this hesitance for them to go back home because they won't be able to visit again and i thought that was gonna be the trap but they make up their minds very quickly because they have to help their dad back home and i wish that this had been stretched for longer either throughout the whole movie Movie where every night they keep wanting more and more to stay and like that hesitance kind of builds yeah that night should have been the anomaly that should have been the turning point where they break out of it you're right yeah they say something like that's not what a proper princess would do a proper princess wouldn't turn away at a time of need and would confront the problem and that would have fit in if throughout the movie they've been selfish maybe like it's okay to pursue things you want to but maybe Maybe they've been taking it to extremes and so they finally realize that we have to put someone else's welfare before ours for once and we have to face the problem instead of running away but throughout the movie they haven't really been running away from anything except a tyrant which is reasonable so it doesn't really make for great character development because they're already where they need to be so there's no growth yeah it's not great character development because they're also not great characters because they're not flawed yeah, they dance the night away and they come back to their bedrooms and the next day Rowena gets this strange visitor and Genevieve spots the weird exchange between them. And so Rowena's monkey, Brutus, is rummaging through the girl's belongings. So he comes across a pair of shoes and he brings it to Rowena who notices that the shoes are all worn out and she assumes that the girls have been out dancing with princes <laughs> and 
thinks that if they're out courting, then this ruins her plan to take over the throne. That's so funny to me. Me too. <laughs> it's such a leap and it's a leap that's so much propped up by her own prejudice and like the things that she believes in. I think they do that well enough. Like all of Rowena's conclusions and leaps are actually pretty well thought out, if that makes sense. Like they all trace back to the stuff that's been established about her views and her beliefs. I think I mostly agree with that. I'm still a little bit confused about why she assumes princes are even in the picture because it could very well just be that the girls are dancing around in their room by themselves. It's like she's determined to make this even more of a threat to her plot than it needs to be because it could very well just be that she's angry that they've been dancing without permission but she draws this very direct line to her plan to take over the throne which I don't know is necessarily warranted. It's definitely not warranted. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's exactly it because she sees these girls as girls without inner lives. What she believes girls to be is just a really misogynistic take by Rowena and that fuels some really misguided conclusions and I think that is unfortunately very true to real life and that is in line with how she's been behaving down to the fact that she keeps messing up their names she very clearly doesn't see them as actual people so i guess i can see your point to me it feels like a very pointed commentary on how people can arrive at such ridiculous conclusions from the smallest of things just because of their own skewed perceptions or their own prejudice yeah but Genevieve calls in the doctor because the dad has been feeling unwell and the doctor prescribes an elixir that Rowena says she'll take care of and then she just drains. And obviously we already know at this point that she's poisoning him and she's not gonna let him get better. But Genevieve is already very suspicious. So the next time Derek comes, she asks him to check out this Fabian dude who was trading with Rowena. It's also at this point that Genevieve shows him the dance that they do to get into the portal. And she doesn't specifically mention that it's for this purpose, but I think it is nice that he pays close enough attention. I mean, if the pattern were more complicated, this would be nicer, but <laughs> he does pay enough attention to remember it later on when he's looking for the princesses and he realizes that that's the dance you have to do. I actually really like this thread. Yeah. But yeah, that night, the girls go back into the magical world. And in the meantime, Derek follows Fabian and finds out that he's an apothecary and he traded some kind of tonic for the silver goblet that Rowena got from the palace. So he wants to take the silver goblet as evidence that Rowena's been stealing. And in exchange, <laughs> he trades his horse, although it's not looking great for his parrot for a moment there. <laughs> it's insane to me that he trades his horse. Like, he has this giant cart with him and he has to lug it on foot back. Yeah, and he even detaches the cart from the horse when he's chasing down Fabian. So you can really see that because Genevieve asked him to, he really kind of, I would say, puts his livelihood in jeopardy. You're right. I thought that was kind of sweet. That makes me think they could have also done a really interesting thing with Genevieve and Derek where... 
they do like each other, but there's a weird dynamic where Derek can't say no to Genevieve's favor because she's his princess and future queen or whatever. No matter like how much he actually wants to do this because he likes her, he is kind of bound to it and that creates like a really strange dynamic between them. Would it be interesting if Genevieve's like discovering for the first time the authority that she has and like how that can be twisted and how awful it makes her feel that whatever she says this person has to follow what she says and that would fit really nicely I think with the idea of you know Rowena's arrival being the end of their adolescence yeah now that you mention it the friction between his role as a potential partner versus his role as subject could have been something interesting to explore. And I mean, the fact that he trades his horse, and that is also a part of his livelihood because he uses that to travel everywhere with his wares. The fact that he trades that horse never comes up again. He doesn't mention it to Genevieve and she never realizes how big of a sacrifice he made. So if that had come up, I think that could have been an opportunity for her to realize that she can have a very real impact on real people and also maybe I think this would have been more pertinent if she had been the first born yeah but in the morning the monkey finds another pair of shoes that proves they've been dancing again and Rowena interrogates all of them and they tell her <laughs> <laughs> Seeing as how this place is the only place they can truly be themselves and it's like a haven for them, you would think that she's the one person they wouldn't tell about the existence of this place. I'm so confused as to why they tell her because if they hadn't, the result would have been the same because she punishes them for lying, but... She could have very well just punished them for not telling her where they'd been. Yeah, it's dumb. Although I do like the whole, like, she doesn't have the imagination. She doesn't believe in all of these things. And that's why she doesn't believe them even when they're telling the truth. And yeah, like you said, Rowena punishes them and they have to, like, clean and stuff. So that evening... Genevieve and Lacey go see their dad but before they can go in they overhear their dad seemingly calling them a burden so they report back to the sisters and that night Rowena locks them in their room and for the third time the girls go back to the magical world and this time they decide to stay there for an indefinite amount of time I guess and so the next morning Rowena finds that their room is empty. They're all gone. The girls called the magical land the one place where they won't disappoint anybody, which is heartbreaking to me. And I know we're supposed to believe that they adore their father, but like, it doesn't seem like they've had an actually good relationship with their father in the sense that this one thing wouldn't have led them straight down this path of thinking that they are nothing but a disappointment if they had had an actual good history with their father. Yeah, and to add on to that, I think it would have been even more heartbreaking that the girls think they're a disappointment to their father and then they take this drastic step if we had seen previous instances of them trying to live up to his expectations but continuously failing but the way they portray their relationship it seems very loving it doesn't seem like the dad is disappointed in them necessarily until Rowena arrives and after her arrival there isn't any indication of the girls disappointing their dad this is the first instance where they feel like oh 
this is how our dad feels about us. And the immediate reaction is, okay, let's just go away then. <laughs> like it went from zero to a hundred. I would have preferred more of a buildup. I agree with you. I think as a consequence of that being dumb, <laughs> it leaves me with the impression that the first blow was when the very first time the dad introduced Rowena, that was so out of nowhere, right? From the perspective of the girls, this would have been such a blow for the girls because so far there's been no indication that their father felt this way. And this feels like disappointing him to suddenly hear their father say, you're not good enough. I have asked somebody to fix you for me. And then Rowena's presence from then on is a continuous, constant reminder that they're not good enough for their father. I think the movie actively tells us different, but in reality, the consequence of this writing and what actually happens, I think is that Rowena is a constant reminder. That is part of the build-up that I was hoping there would be. They really just refuse to make the king flawed and like his actions flawed. You're right. But Derek finds out that the princesses are missing and he sneaks into their bedroom, <laughs> which, wow, really nobody is at this palace. <laughs> and I actually really like the way he figures out the portal thing because he sees that his shoe polish has rubbed off on the stone floors and he sees where the polish is thickest and that's where she started. Yeah, I do like that it's tied to his expertise and it's got a personal aspect to it as well because he's the one who hand makes these shoes for the princesses and specifically for Genevieve. It's very reminiscent of Julian realizing that Annalise didn't leave that note because oh she wouldn't use this flower or whatever or like Julian identifying the leaf and he's like ah oh, why has Preminger been to this area with this type of tree <laughs> it's very specific to that character which is very nice to see and it's smart. It is. My main gripe, though, with this scene is they don't show us Derek twirling three times on the final tile. <laughs> show us Derek twirling. <laughs> Cowards. <laughs> but yeah, he does open the portal. And the monkey is actually hiding in the bedroom. So he also sees and he goes to tell Rowena. So Rowena is also able to gain access to the magical land. But while this is happening, the princesses are still dancing in the magical land i think it was at this point that it struck me how useless the dance sequences are and especially because they take their time portraying the dances so it's not like a thing in passing to show that the girls really love dancing it is intricate and it's a lot like the nutcracker where you can really appreciate the choreography and the music but here it doesn't serve any kind of purpose except to just look pretty i guess again just surface level i agree the dancing is weirdly not tied to the narrative at all and it's really well done but like they don't make any effort of making it be an actual part of the story and i wish it had one thing that i do really like in comparison to the nutcracker though is that in this one because there's 12 of them we get like a whole like ensemble basically I think we've already talked about this, but the girls don't face any consequences for their endless obsession with dancing. Even their, I wouldn't say excessive, but their continuous use of the magic. There's no consequences. Yeah, but Derek actually shows up. And I think, you know, what would have been easily 
the dark turn they could have taken is the fact that they are growing more and more distant to their humanity and like the real world and so when Derek shows up they could have been like weird and distant and when Derek tells them about Rowena and the chalice and everything they're like oh no whatever but their reaction isn't proportional to the danger that is coming for their father and Derek has to actually convince them to come home and remind them of their loved ones but no he just shows up explains and they immediately go (laughs) that would have been much better especially with their non-human partners is maybe kind of rubbing off on them and they're turning into the same kind of hollow shell of who they were that would be dark i think if they turned into gold statues at the end they stay long enough yeah and like at first it's pretty they see that they sparkle gold a little they do get the glitter on them Derek makes a comment about it earlier on so that could have been great foreshadowing yeah so they can't go back initially because rowena is destroying the tiles and so the magical place is kind of crumbling around them but they make it out because apparently they can just fly out of there if Genevieve (laughs) and Derek dance a duet it was just like whatever and they end up in like their mother's dancing pavilion and they find out that Rowena is now queen because the dad had signed over the throne while he's sick the girls rally together with the power of 12 as they say (laughs) they realize that Rowena has set the guards against them to capture them and this is where we get home alone style hijinks as they try to reach their dad and if there's one positive thing I can say about this scene it's fun how the girls' individual talents come into play and I do like Genevieve seemingly being the mastermind of the whole thing because you can see that strategy is her strong suit when she's playing chess with her dad and she is very observant because she's the only one who notices that something is off with Rowena and Fabian. So it does make sense in this case that she's doing this not because she's the main character, but because this is her strength. Yeah, but they do get to their dad, Genevieve and Derek specifically, and they confront Rowena. And there is this whole fight that happens because Rowena brought a magic flower with her and she brings the suit of armor to life and she gets defeated because she tries to enchant Genevieve to dance forever and Genevieve uses a fan to blow it back to Rowena which is a great callback to when Rowena told them not to use the fan that way. She ends up dancing forever and she ends up dancing in a duet with her footmen. I firstly do like the use of the fan a lot because it's like a double blow because she's redirecting the magic while also using the fan in a way Rowena said was incorrect so I really liked that extra slight but more than that I think at one point Genevieve did say that she wishes she could dance forever and it's like kind of that misguided perspective where you wish you could abandon all your responsibilities and just do what you love all the time but here with this wish kind of turning into a curse for Rowena it's like a bit of personal growth on Genevieve's part where she realizes that this wish isn't what she would truly want in real life this is not really a wish but a curse and so when it's redirected 
to Rowena, it could have served as a moment of realization for Genevieve. But it, it's not because, again, as we've already said, the characters don't develop. Yeah, I will say this means Rowena is the only one who has to face the consequences of the magic from the magical land and just come on now. Yeah, and instead of consequences, what we get is more use of the magic because Lacey has collected a bit of water with healing powers and she just in time delivers this water to her father and he wakes up and it's all fine but I kind of do wish that maybe they hadn't succeeded because that is actual consequences of them wasting time while they're deliberating and wanting to stay. And it's an actual push into adulthood now because this is it. They are now in charge. They're one guardian is gone that would have been a great ending because that's the consequence but no the king just comes back to life also like the first thing he says when he comes back to life is like you're perfect just as you are or whatever some bullshit like that and it's like i don't know where this is coming from what changed the king's mind like there's this moment when he succumbs to the poison where he realizes that rowena is evil and she was poisoning him this whole time but like he only calls in rowena because he formed this opinion on his own so the fact that Rowena turned out to be evil shouldn't have any bearing on the opinion he formed by himself it's very abrupt and just like his lack of motivation there is a lack of any kind of impetus for him to change his mind he just he does things inexplicably and not to just keep ranting but it ends with a wedding yeah between Genevieve and Derek and I together i think it would be cute that they got married but like where did this come from <laughs> but they dance so that's nice yeah we haven't seen enough of that a part of me is like it's not a true barbie movie unless it ends with a wedding but yeah i agree i think if they want to end with an emphasis on genevieve and Derek. It could have very well been like a suggestion of let's go on a first date or something to that effect. But the wedding was very <laughs> extreme. Anyway, so an absurd conclusion. <laughs> None of the girls except for Genevieve can read because <laughs> the dad never hired any tutors to teach them anything ever. Genevieve can only read because the dad favors her and he taught her himself, but he didn't bother with the rest of his kids. That's why everyone knows that Genevieve is the favorite because she can read. <laughs> and in another absurd conclusion, there is no one in this kingdom. No people in the castle, no subjects. It's just the king, his daughters, and Rowena. <laughs> yeah, they rule over the one palace guard. <laughs> He's been the one whispering rumors, and so the king is like, Our subject is upset. You must change. Yeah. What snack would you pair with this movie? I wouldn't pair anything with this movie because I don't think you should watch this movie. Yeah, I guess you wouldn't recommend this movie then. No, I wouldn't. Like I said in the beginning, I didn't have an initial impression beyond the fact that it seemed to be well-loved. And now I don't understand why. The story, as we have already said, lacks so much substance and a lot of it could very easily be fixed. So I'm not sure 
why it ended up this way, but it does lead me to the conclusion. And I don't know if this is true, but this is well into the production of Barbie movies. So we, we've already had some successes in the past. So it kind of makes me seem like they were just banking on that success and kind of throwing together the aspects that they thought were kind of needed to make a successful movie. You know, the dancing, the emphasis on ballet, the music, even very specific aspects like the final wedding, the pet companions, the royal setting, it feels like they threw these things together without much thought to how they would contribute to the actual story. So without that substance in the story, it's kind of like a nothing movie. It's not really worth your time, I would say. So no, I wouldn't recommend this movie. How about you? I also don't recommend this movie. What you said was spot on. And this is, I think, why the ending of the wedding boggled me so much because you're right it's just a formula the only reason it's there is because it should end with a wedding which is like dumb <laughs> it doesn't seem like they're interested in telling a good story they didn't put any effort into it this really has nothing like when i tell you this movie has no meat so yeah i think i would skip this one put this on for your kids who love dancing that'd be a great time for them but otherwise there's literally no merit to this movie yeah that's it for our episode on Barbie and the 12 Dancing Princesses. Yeah. I hope the new movie doesn't disappoint us like this one did. Yeah, only time will tell. If you have any suggestions for movies we should discuss on the podcast, send them in at graveyard underscore slot on Instagram, the graveyard slot podcast on Tumblr, or email us at thegraveyardslot at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Graveyard Slot.